Guess what, guys? We're not doctors. No, we are not. So if you're going to be making any major medical decisions, please consult your doctor. That includes diets, surgeries, and exercise. We love you guys. And we want you to continue to be in our OSLP family forever. So be careful and consult your doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Welcome back, OSLP family. Welcome, welcome. You're listening to Our Sleep Life Podcast, and this is Kelly. This is Mel. And we did it, you guys. We We did did it. it. We nailed down a plastic surgeon. We have him with us. And we are going to go over all of those burning questions that I know we have and you guys have. We are just... For those that don't know, we've messaged so many plastic surgeons. Yes. <laughs> That's and why we're so excited. Yes. And this one, this doctor is very special because he specializes. He he loves doing weight loss surgery patients. Yes. So That's what's so cool about we this We are one. so excited to have Dr. Bita on the podcast. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor being here. Thank you. I mean, it's an honor for us yes. because we've seen before and afters. We've seen your posts. We're we're super excited to see more before and afters from you because this is just it's kind of it's a scary thing for yeah. somebody to go under the knife as a for plastic surgery. Yeah, of course, it's a big decision. And for obviously for everyone, we always say, you know, it's a very personal decision and mm-hmm. a lot of patients choose not to have plastic surgery. And at the end of the day, you got to do what's right for you. So exactly, exactly. So tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us how you got into weight loss surgery, plastics, all of that. Yeah, sure. So I uh, am based in Orlando. I work for uh, one of the big hospitals here called Orlando Health. Uh, and I've been here for about three years mm-hmm. and I did uh, seven years of training before that. So um, 10 years. That's a lot yeah. of training. That's a lot. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> it's a lot love of surgeries. It. Yes. Uh, and uh, what's unique is I did a one-year fellowship up at Pittsburgh at the University of Pittsburgh uh, that was dedicated to weight loss patients. And so I trained with a lot of the people who invented uh, and mastered uh, techniques that are special for weight loss patients. It's so cool. Uh, and I'm- yeah, it's uh, it was pretty cool. So Dr. Peter Rubin was my mentor and Dr. Jeffrey Gossinoff. They're uh, two kind of big names in the weight loss uh, surgery population, uh, oh. or rather plastic surgery after weight loss population. Okay. Oh, cool. Yeah, so they're uh, they're great guys. They write textbooks. They travel all over the world and lecture on this stuff. So I was very fortunate to have trained with them. Yeah. Um, and so I did, like I said, that one year, uh, we operated mostly on weight loss patients. And as a lot of you know, the skin is not really the same. Um, just like when a woman is pregnant, uh, you know, you stretch the skin, just like when you are kind of overweight, you're going to stretch the skin as you gain weight. Um, and then as you lose weight, you see a lot of that um, elasticity um, stay. Unfortunately, it doesn't really go away. So the skin's really loose and weak. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of the techniques that we use for weight loss patients are not the same as the techniques that we would use um, on the average person who's not been, you know, heavier and lost a lot of weight. Uh, so, you know, like breast lifts are not the same in someone who's a weight loss patient versus someone who uh, is not um, or is and is not. Yes. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's super interesting because I don't think a lot of us knew that because like I did not know that at all. I didn't either. Um, it makes 
way more sense, but like absolutely had no idea. Cause I was kind of curious, like who would do those people that like, you know, like the 600 pound, like the, the show. Yeah. Like I was like, Ooh, I wonder who would do that. But yeah, that would be hard. Like you wouldn't know where to start if you never were trained. Like yeah. that would be nuts. Yeah. To and I know. That. Well, and it's like, we always talk about like how you've got a lot of excess skin on your, your breasts, boobs, yeah. like, especially like right at the top. And so it, mm-hmm. it makes sense that you would need somebody that knows what they're doing mm-hmm. versus just going into just a normal plastic surgeon. And, you know, right. it's just different techniques. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of, you know, so um, I do about two to three weight loss patients a week, wow. uh, whereas probably the average person is doing two to three a month. Wow. Uh, so it's really important to do research on who's doing your plastic surgery. Mm. Uh, it's even more important to make sure you are seeing a plastic surgeon, because I can't tell you how many patients I've had come in my office who uh, have had surgery elsewhere. Um, mm-hmm. And it can be in town. It can be out of town. Uh, and then you look up the surgeon's name and they're, you know, what's called a cosmetic surgeon, which is very different from a plastic surgeon. Oh. I don't know if you guys covered that in a previous no, episode. No, we have could, not. Could you kind of yeah, go over what that? is the difference? I'm curious. Ooh, um, don't let me get started, but I'll, I'll give you a <laughs> short, sh- short and dirty. Okay. Um, so plastic surgery is typically uh, six years. It used to be five. Now it's six um, of training in plastic surgery. Um, plastic surgeons are typically members of the American Society of Plastic Surgeons, um, but are at least board certified by the American Board of Plastic Surgery. Okay. Um, the other route is to do five years of general or ENT and then do three years additional in plastic surgery. Wow. So it's a long, it's a long way. It's at least, you know, five now it's six years. Mm-hmm. Um, there is another board that kind of crept up called the American Board of Cosmetic Surgery. Uh, and though that board will let you do any, you can have any training. So a lot of these people are a gynecologists, uh, general surgeons, um, who will do like a weekend or like a three month or six, six month fellowship in cosmetic surgery. And then, open up shop and start doing tummy tucks and breast augmentations. Whoa. And that's right. so it's very, very different training. Backgrounds. That is scary. That is nuts. Yes. I, <laughs> so, is, oh, yeah. so that's why you see such a huge difference sometimes. Yes. Of like, Oh, I went here. There's a huge problem, but you go over here. Then they're amazing. Yes. One's yeah. board certified. Correct. Wow. Yeah. So the important thing is to check uh, the Plastic Surgery Society website is plasticsurgery.org. Okay. Uh, and if you go there, there's a link at the top that says find a surgeon. And most plastic surgeons will be members of that society, which is the American Society of Plastic Surgeons. Wow. Okay. We will definitely have that in the show notes, guys. Yes. Yeah. Because that is super important because like we said, it's a big decision. It's a, I mean, anytime you're having a surgery or going under, I mean, and this is altering your body. So yeah. you want to make sure that it's going to look good when you're done and you're spending a lot of money to do this yeah. um, because True. it's it's not cheap to get plastic surgery, but you're also going to live with this body for the rest for of your, your life. life. Yeah. So I want someone that knows what they're doing. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Wow. And there's a lot, you know, there's a lot of things. I mean, um, you know, the first thing is I always tell patients, you're not going to hurt my feelings if you go have surgery with someone else, but mm-hmm. don't go to the guy who's charging you $3,000 and is not a plastic surgeon. Mm. So if the price is too good to be true, it's probably, too it is too good to be true. true. Okay. Um, and the other thing I tell patients is it's really hard to fix a complication or a problem, like a bad result. 
Mm. Um, it's, you know, pay more, get it done right the first time because it's a lot harder to fix someone else's work if it's gone bad. Oh, that's okay. a good tip. That yeah. is a really good I tip. I have no idea. Yes. Um, so can you tell us what the process is once you've had weight loss surgery, you've, you've lost all of your weight and you've decided, you know, hey, I think I want to have plastic surgery. Where, what's the next steps to that? Great question. Um, so typically we like patients to have a stable weight for at least three months. Uh, you know, ideally six, okay. uh, even more is better, of course. So, you know, we want to know that you're maintaining that weight, right? You're not like in this slope of I'm still losing weight mm-hmm. um, or you're not yo-yo dieting, going up and down. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you want to have a stable weight for I would say the very minimum is three months and you're not on like fentermine or any kind of fad diet to get to that weight and maintaining that weight. So you're, you're having a lifestyle that you can maintain and you're doing that for at least three months and you've kept your weight at that, you know, within let's say five or 10 pounds. Okay. okay. So that's number one. I would say you really don't want to start considering plastic surgery until you've hit that point. Okay. Um, number. And so typically that will happen about a year to 18 months after uh, bariatric surgery. Okay. If you're following your bariatric surgeon's recommendations, okay. you know, you're eating your protein, you're doing your diet, your exercise, etc. Um, otherwise there's really no other requirements. You know, most of us won't operate on smokers, myself included. Okay. Um, so if you come in and see me and you're smoking, I'm going to give you a nicotine script and tell you to call my office to schedule after you send us a negative test. Oh, wow. Um, What's the reasoning behind otherwise, that? Uh, so when you smoke, the nicotine is, well, nicotine along with a couple of other, other hundred mm-hmm. uh, metabolites in, in cigarettes, um, you know, so your vessels, just for illustrative purposes, let's say this is the normal diameter of your vessel when you smoke and that nicotine enters your system, your vessels get like this small. Um, oh. And so the blood supply and the nutrients just aren't getting to those tissues uh, and because there's a lot of manipulation, you know, tissue manipulation being done in plastic surgery, mm-hmm. you know, we're rearranging things, we're tightening things. Um, and there's a lot of tension on, on, on the incisions that we make. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so smoking is just going to give you a much higher risk of having uh, a wound opening or an infection after surgery. Oh, okay. wow. Um, wow. Okay. What about yeah, so blood clots? Plastic, um, so blood clots like in your calves. Mm-hmm. You mean like the ones that can go to your lung? Yeah. Right. So DVT, yeah, the blood clots we worry about. Uh, that's certainly a risk factor. So I talk to that about uh, about that to all my patients. Okay. Um, the best thing to do, which is what I tell all my patients or and make all my patients do, is to walk uh, three times a day beginning the day after surgery. Okay. Um, for most patients, I'll also give uh, a blood thinner before uh, before they go to sleep. Okay. Um, so, you know, surgery is a risk factor for blood clots mm-hmm. um, and then being immobile is a risk factor for blood clots. That's why, like when you take a long trip in a car or on a flight, you're at risk for it. OK. Um, and so now you add two things together. So that's two risk factors. And then um, a lot of these surgeries are long if we're doing multiple stages. And so that's another risk factor. And then, you know, there's a scale and age is another risk factor if you're over 41. Uh, and so you add all those together and typically I end up giving most of my patients a blood thinner before they even uh, go to the operating room. So the okay. morning, and then, uh, if they're staying overnight, I keep them on it while they're in the hospital and then make them get up and walk three times a day. Okay. Is it typical that you have them stay overnight after surgery? Most of my patients do stay overnight if we're doing, um, 
combined, if we're doing like a three parts, you know, three body parts or two body parts, okay. um, mostly for comfort to make sure they're okay. Um, some want to go home, um, you know, at the end of the day, uh, their decision, there's, uh, you know, I'll sometimes recommend that they stay if we're doing a lot, but uh, for a lot of them, if it's not covered by insurance, if we're not doing something that's covered by insurance, that overnight stay has to be covered by the patient. So mm. um, at the end of the day, if they're comfortable going home, I'm okay sending them home. Okay. Wow. All right. Okay. We uh, use long acting pain medication. Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go right ahead. I was going to say we use long acting pain medication. So uh, kind of like a numbing agent you would get at the dentist. Uh, we use that uh, in all the surgical sites, uh, but this one lasts for three days. Oh, wow. Uh, so most patients who go home are comfortable. The people who typically stay are just a little anxious or nervous. Um, and like I said, as, if their insurance is covering it, then great. Uh, and if not, um, you know, I think our rate to spend the night is pretty reasonable. So um, okay. some of them will choose to spend the night. You know, they have 24-hour nursing care. Uh, someone's bringing them their medications. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, someone's waking them up every few hours to check that they're alive. So it <laughs> depends on where you find comfort. Yes. Yeah, I think I would stay the night. Right? Yeah. I feel like I would just pay for the extra just to just to make sure that my pain level's good and like that first yeah. that first night. Yeah, just the first twenty four hours. Yeah. I mean I would literally and, and probably exactly say Oh, I was gonna say like yeah. I wouldn't mind saying even like for three days to be honest. <laughs> She's like going bougie see, with it. Yeah, I want like I want like. I mean, really the hospital chill. charge is reasonable, but I don't think it's that reasonable. <laughs> Go to a spa, Mel. Okay. Go to a spa. Fine. Yeah, you might Fine. you might want to spend one night at the hospital and then two other nights at a five star hotel, and you might come out a little bit ahead still. Yeah, I like that oh, idea. I go. like where your head's there's at. Some <laughs> nice, there's some nice Disney resorts down the street um, that might charge you a little bit less than the hospital. So. A little bit less. <laughs> I'm always down for Disney. Oh my god. <laughs> Always down. Um, So kind of back to a little bit of like things that are in your system to make you not. So you said um, nicotine. No, but like how long does it even take for nicotine to get out of your system? Generally, so studies have shown that it's uh, you want to have someone quit smoking four weeks, at least four weeks before surgery. Four weeks. Um, Depending on the test. Yeah. Depending on the test. Usually it's a urine test that we send patients for. And Mm -hmm. probably most offices are doing the same when we test for nicotine. Mm -hmm. Um, Depending on the lab, it's probably going to detect it for up to two to four weeks, depending on the specific test that they're using. So. okay, Yeah, I know that I um, tell patients. I did the urine test yes, for my office before surgery. They test all of their patients before because mm. they want everybody to be smoke free. So, oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. my you doctor, Doctor Patterson. I don't. Yeah. I don't remember getting tested. Uh, hers was six years ago. It was so six years it's ago. A little fuzzy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think. I think as far as I know, most. Bariatric surgeons also do tests, mm-hmm. um, probably because again, when you're stapling, you know, the, if you're stapling the stomach, that line can break down it, uh, if if you don't have good blood supply. So mm-hmm. I know the guys at our hospital do tests because a lot of my patients tell me they quit smoking back when they had their bariatric surgery. Oh, that's yeah. funny. Yeah, yeah. No, I I'm sure Dr. Patterson had me pee. I'm sure she did. I'm sure she did. Yeah. I mean, just to be on the safe side. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm trying to remember that day exactly. It just was kind of a blur until I was mm-hmm. on the table, and then like 
Well, I got tested like before they would even submit to insurance. Oh, I got tested then. I'm talking about like right before surgery. Yeah, no, they don't test. Like, oh, no, oh, it was okay. like. They don't before. test you then. It's. Uh, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. No, I got the initial I think test. The test actually takes a few days to come back. Yeah. 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 Oh, I believe okay. it was a few days because they were like, okay, you're good. And I was like, all right. Yeah. <laughs> like, so we do test. At- we do test everyone. Um, so we, they get te- our patients get tested at what's called their uh, pre-anesthesia appointment, okay, um, okay. which all, all patients that are on to health have to have. Um, and so they, the anesthesia team goes over their medical history and make sure everything's okay. They'll do an EKG if needed, test X-ray, um, and then they'll get labs um, that they feel are warranted and then anything that the surgeon has ordered. And so we get a nicotine test on every patient as well. Oh, wow. um, but what I was referring to earlier are the people who tell me in clinic when I meet them for a consultation, if they admit to smoking, those are the ones that I give a slip to and then they don't get even scheduled until they send us a negative nicotine test. Yeah, because you uh, never because know. Because well, I mean, it's just happened so many times that we put them on the schedule. They show up to PAT and it's positive, And now we're canceling them a week before surgery and yeah. we're scrambling to put someone else on. Um, so we found this to be a much more efficient way. Yeah. Plus I, it I gives people agree. a reason to quit. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, mean yeah. I, w- I mean, if I were, I would because like you're wasting so many people's time. Like if they like put it all together. And then now they can't like that would suck. Yeah. That yeah. Would just suck. yeah. Yeah. So what's yes. the number one um, requested surgery, plastic surgery for post weight loss surgery patients? Uh, I would say by far the abdomen. Okay. Uh, and, and, you know, that might be because it's for most of our patients, we can typically get insurance to approve um, the skin removal on the abdomen. Oh. Um, and I think for most patients, it's like you kind of think of like putting pants on and that's you know, one of the first things you do in the morning and when your pants don't fit quite right and you've got this like flap of skin on your abdomen, it's just not pleasant. So, yeah. um, you know, the arms are probably number two. Okay. Um, and I don't know if it would be number one, if insurance, if payment weren't a factor, um, okay. I suspect arms might be number one for most patients. I don't know how you guys feel. Well, and I think it depends on what, like the weight you were at before and how you carried your weight. Because I know like my mm-hmm. arms were big, but, and I have a little bit, but not enough to like warrant getting surgery on them. Like my, my concern would be my abdomen. So yeah, I don't care about my arms Yeah, enough to do that. Yeah. No, no. So. Well, and it makes yeah, me, so it, abdomen. Okay. Yeah, it would just be abdomen for, so for me. So speaking of insurance. Yeah. I want to know, like, I know a lot of our, our listeners are wondering, oh. how do you go about that? Yeah, they all want to know. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so the number one question. Um, so let me preface this by saying we we have been seeing in some insurances um, what's called an exclusion. Um, and so I always, the analogy I always make is, you know, a lot of like home insurance policies exclude flooding. Yeah. Um, and so there are insurance, health insurances out there that are now excluding things like breast reductions and, and paniculectomies, which is the skin removal uh, from the abdomen. Um, it's few and far between, luckily, um, mm-hmm. but we're seeing it a little bit more. Okay. Um, so if you do have coverage, um, and again, the, the medical term is a paniculectomy, which is removal of the skin on the abdomen below the belly button. Okay. Okay. Um, the requirements are from insurance that you are for most of them. Again, this might change depending on the exact policy, but the vast majority are going to be 18 months after weight loss surgery. Okay. 
uh, stable weight. I think most are six months. Some might be three. Okay. Uh, so stable weight for six months. Um, you have to have rashes, uh, below the skin fold. Mm. Uh, and then you have to try a topical or oral medication for three months for that rash. Uh, and it has to have failed to resolve okay. prescription medication. Okay. Yeah. I feel like that c- would cover a lot of people. I think it would. Too. That's we- going to cover. Yeah. The majority of people. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Huh? Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, yeah. Thinking about it. Like, well, well, the only thing that, that does, it doesn't annoy me. I totally get it. But I remember back in the day, like when I was like two, three years out, I would just get these little tiny red bumps like just, but it wouldn't be like on like a, like an area, like a crevice, I guess. A crevice, a fold. A fold. It would just, it would just be on my skin where like my pant line would be. And it would be there yeah. for like a few weeks and then it'd go away. Hmm. And I remember even my doctor was like, is that seem like a problem to you? And I was like. I go, does it look like a problem to you? I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I'm not <laughs> a doctor a here. <laughs> oh, it's a problem. I'm like, He's saying yes. It's a problem. But it, like, I, I still get it every once in a while, but it's just like one one to two like big round ones and then they go away. Huh. So I just thought it was like sweat. It just rubs in the right, in the wrong yeah. way, I guess. Yeah, probably what it is. It's an area. Of, it, it, well, it could be one of two things. It could be a hair follicle if, you, if it was in the hair bearing area that was just clogged. Um, mm-hmm. Or it could be a rash from... You know, when you have um, skin on skin and then you get that like moisture buildup, it can just be kind of a, a, ra- a reaction to that uh, friction. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. I actually had that happen when I was uh, before I had weight loss surgery. I was at my top yeah. weight and I had it under my breast. Oh, yeah. And yep. because mm-hmm. I have three autoimmune diseases. And so there were some days where I couldn't get out of bed. And so I'm just like hanging out in bed. And there was one time where it just like it had rubbed just the right way and it got infected. Like it was bad. It was real bad. And so I had to go into the doctor and they cleaned it really well. And they're like, basically, just keep it as dry as you can. And I still have a scar from it. Oh, underneath. It was I mean, it was a good like it was probably that that big. Yeah. So, wow, it was about Man. an inch. Well, because I I know what you're talking about with the with the rubbing and the rash mm-hmm. there. I've just never gotten it to that point. She is like so. crazy with her baby powder. So <laughs> like she, I I would be shocked if she had any type of rash any time. I know. Like well, so it's funny, you know, because I get patients who come in and tell me, well, I don't get a rash, but I shower three times a day, and I'm like, well, if you didn't shower, you know, I'm trying to let me help you here. If you didn't shower three times a day, what would happen? You know, yeah. so some patients you kind of have to like lead on to get them to say what you want to say, mm. um, because if I write patient doesn't get a rash, then we're not going to help them get insurance coverage. Ah, right, um, right. That's funny because yeah. we were just talking about this because my boyfriend he had weight loss surgery. Um, he had the bypass done no. uh, two years ago, and he showers three times a day. He does. He and, does. and I'm like, and it's it's so funny because he's like, don't make fun of me or don't judge. And don't. I'm like, I'm not judging. It's just kind of, it just seems like overkill to me. Like, they, you they, don't need and it. he's all, it's fat man sin- syndrome. Like, I, I, <laughs> I have to be clean at all times. And I'm just like, all right, cool. I mean, I'm not saying that, like, I don't like you smelling good. I'm just... It's a yeah. little odd to me. Yeah, don't judge. <laughs> Just don't tell your plastic surgeon that when they ask you if you get rashes. I'll let him know. I'll let him know. Because <laughs> yeah. eventually he does want to have plastic surgery. So it's kind yeah. of funny that... You said that. So, well, yeah, because like I didn't know what to do. And like typically I just did my n- normal like 
I noticed when it was only happening during workouts. So mm-hmm. when I was sweating, when I was moving, yeah. uh, right. and if I just was like being gross that day and just didn't like change, you know, like I just hung out in that. I mean, all we, day all long. Yeah. we all do it. We all do it. All I'm in here. Like, <laughs> don't you shave me? I hear people right now messing with me. Don't act like you've never sat in your own filth for over a day. <laughs> people, we've all done it. We've done. I've done and it. I've done it. There's some days where I'm like, nope, yeah. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. I worked out, and that's all you're getting from me. Yeah, and I did it. And yeah. only time I've ever when that happens, yes, I'll get like the little dots, the little mm. dots. Yeah. Okay, but it so, doesn't yeah. hurt. But, but it makes sense. In, but they do go like they'll, they'll come and go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, and the last thing, um, there was I'm one sorry. fifth thing. It's usually on physical exam. I mean, most patients can probably tell for themselves, but mm-hmm. the skin has to hang to the pubic bone. Okay. The pubic bone. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So, so some patients, yeah. Okay. Some patients have noticed like when they have C-sections, if the scar is really high, that can actually hurt them because sometimes that causes kind of like a ledge and then oh. the skin will just hang below that ledge rather than kind of flop down. Oh, um, okay. But yeah, most, I would say the vast majority of patients um, meet those five, you know, those five criteria. Okay. Um, Good to know. Yeah. So we get very upset when we get uh, denials because it's not a, not a, an exclusion on a policy, essentially. So, oh, gotcha. You're just gotcha. like, really, yeah. really? Like, they've worked yeah. so hard to get to this point. You right. can't just like, yeah. okay, here's your reward. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I know. I love it. I, I, you know, I wish they would approve, they would pay for all these things, but, um, you know, maybe someday. Someday, hopefully. Yeah. It's, it's like, we're taking our whole life, our health into our own hands. We're taking control of it. We're doing all these things and like, yeah, uh, they still like to just stick it to you sometimes. Throw us a bone. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I know like for me, I'd like to get the tummy tuck kind of done when it comes to the belly button. Yes. When is it necessary to, I guess, re... Like reposition it? Yeah. Like reposition repos- it? Okay. Yeah. Or like reform it. Is that a term? I don't know how to describe or it. Have you ever yeah. had to reform one, I guess, yeah. too? Yeah. For the most part, um, so 99% of the procedures I do, I'm repositioning it. Um, It's not included with the paniculectomy, but I think it looks funny to not do it. So we just do it, you know, on those 99% of patients. Um, So the way I explain it to patients is if if you are like really still overweight, like we're talking BMI 40 plus, Mm -hmm. and you have this uh, hanging apron, you know, down to like your mid thigh or your mid knees, and it's blocking your ability to walk and get around. Mm-hmm. Um, I do what's called an apronectomy, which is really just kind of wedging that area out and closing. And for those okay. patients, I'm not taking away the belly button, but I'm not repositioning it either. Cause I'm just kind of cutting off that apron. Okay. Um, and that's, like I said, very rare. It's someone whose BMI is still high, even after weight loss surgery. Mm. Um, and they just need this for quality of life. For my other 99% of patients who are, you know, BMI 35, not ideal, you know, we try to get them under 32, but they're like, Hey, I just want this done. Um, we will do what's called a paniculectomy again. And that's, um, we wedge everything out and then, but we cut off the skin, just very similar to a tummy tuck. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I dissect upwards. I reposition the belly button. Um, and then we close. So the scar is very similar to a tummy tuck scar. Essentially the only difference between that and a tummy tuck is that we're not tightening the muscles. 
Um, oh. And with a tummy tuck, we would take off a little bit more skin because we are going all the way up to the um, the breastbone. Oh, okay. I see. I see the difference in the the names now. Like it makes more sense in yeah. my head. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why it didn't, but now it makes more <laughs> sense of like tummy tuck and then the pit pinet. That's going to take a while for me to be able to say. Many people call it a panty. So panty. I like it. I like that. Um, And then, sorry, one, one other part of that, the panty. So do you, so you pull, so you take out the, the bottom apron section and then you pull up on like the pubic area and then like, and you kind of just bring everything together or. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so we it's a low scar, so in most patients it's going to be hidden in your underwear bikini line. Uh, and then typically we're cutting the skin up to the belly button, sometimes a little bit above. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that skin goes away, and then we are dissecting the skin a little bit un- under the skin, you know, on top of the abdominal wall, and then we pull it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, and usually we sit patients up, so you know you're like this when you start, and then we're going to flex your body um, so that we can pull as much of that skin down and get as much of it off as possible. Okay. And then we position the belly button and close. Okay. So if you have like a fupa, which mm-hmm. I do, and so that's one of my concerns, is is that something that can be fixed with a panty? Or okay, yeah. So for most patients, yeah, there's um, it's a we, it's a pubic lift. You know, you'll find some surgeons say that they, I guess it's all marketing, right? They say they do a pubic lift at the same time. I mean, it's kind of done at the same time. It's not something okay. you do additionally. Yeah. Okay, got it. All right, that's that that was that was my main question. So I wanted to make yeah. sure that that was all like in one thing. <laughs> You're yes, yeah, that's all done together. Can you kind of describe to me like? Just in just in general for plastic surgery, what are we doing with the fat? What's where's it going? How many layers do you have to go down to even move this stuff around? Because I I mean I don't know the layering because I thought oh, like it would go skin like the seven layer maybe of skins and then fat. Yeah, give us like, a, an anatomy this, lesson. You're getting like a microscopic level. I think there's only five layers of like skin cells if I remember correctly okay. from okay. anatomy. There's five. Biology. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's skin, it's skin. And then there's a layer of fat and then there's a few layers, um, in between of what's called fascia. Um, and those are usually strength layers. Those are the layers you want to suture as a surgeon. Um, mm-hmm. because if you try to put fat to fat, the suture will just kind of cut yep. through it like butter. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's two of those fascial layers of, you know, so it's skin, fat, fascia, fat, fascia, fat. Uh, And then there's the main fascia, which will usually be above the abdominal wall or in the extremities, it'll be around the muscle. And that's your really um, kind of strong, very, very strong layer. Um, And we usually don't go past that deep fascia layer uh, we're talking about. How far are you going down? So that's how far it goes down. The deep, deep fascia. Yeah. Yeah. The deep, deep fascia. So you're going through muscle and stuff. You're going through the whole. No, no. The the fascia that's above muscle. That's as deep as oh, we go okay. is that fascia that's right sitting above, above muscle. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Right okay. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. I was nervous. Like, and how then, does this work? Yeah. <laughs> and then tell us about, do you do liposuction? Is that part of it? How does, how does liposuction come into it? I would say for the vast majority of patients we do, I wouldn't say it's for every patient. Um, Mm -hmm. It just depends on the anatomy. If there's certain areas, you know, some patients come in and their arms are totally deflated. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't need any lipo. So, you know, we don't do any lipo. 
Um, some patients come in and they still have a little bit of fat back here that needs to be lipoed. Um, typically for my arms and thighs, I do some lipo just for contouring. Um, same with abdomens. Uh, you know, but then you have to consider again, if someone's just doing something through insurance, insurances typically don't cover liposuction. So, mm, okay. uh, but we have, you know, we have pricing for, um, patients who want to add lipo. Um, if you want to do the paniculectomy and add the muscle tightening, we, you know, we have all those charges. We've I kind of started all that when I came here That's um, fantastic. so that we could offer patients everything. Yeah. Kind of like a, yeah, so you can kind of break down menu. Yes. Yeah. A la, a la carte. A la carte. A la carte. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's nice to know that you have those options is that you can go in and say, well, yeah, I'd like to have lipo here. Or no, I don't really care if I have lipo or, you know, and kind right. of build your own to I, obviously you would direct them in what you think would be needed. But it's nice to know right. that you have options. Well, we have this question about the fat transferring. Do you do that mm-hmm. for like breast enhancements or I guess moving yeah, wherever they I need to go. Do, I, my PA tells me I do too much fat transfer. So um, <laughs> I do fat transfer at least three, four times a week um, for all kinds of different things. So yeah, we do fat transfer. Um, it's pretty rare in weight loss patients that we use implants for breast enhancement. Oh. Uh, and there's a, there's a few different reasons for that. So um, one, most of my patients are younger. Uh, and so implants aren't made to last forever. Mm. Um, and so if you put an implant in, I always tell a patient, you are guaranteed to have at least one more surgery and likely several, you know, several more than one. Um, so that's the number one reason. Number two, um, most weight loss patients, like we talked about earlier, the skin is not the best quality and it's not just the skin. It's all those structures we just talked about. So the fat's a bit weaker, that those fascial systems are a bit weaker. Uh, and so when you put an implant, that's actually, I don't know if you guys have ever held a, a breast implant Mm-mm, before, but no. they're not light. Yeah. Oh, they're okay. not light. Uh, if we were in person, I'd, I'd toss you one so you could feel it, but they're not light. <laughs> well, that might need to happen so, then. We yeah. might need to we just be in person. person so. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, you put the implant up here and uh, I've seen them over time, they start to migrate and migrate. And then before you know it, it's like down by your, you know, your, by the abdomen. Oh. Um, and it's because the tissues just aren't strong enough to to support that weight anymore. Um, and so that implant just slowly kind of pulls through and stretches through those tissues and on its way down. Interesting. Um, yeah. Cause we yeah, had so, a, then, Oh, sorry. No, 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 go ahead. Oh, we just know, um, a, a fellow member oh. of the community where they had like the double boob thing was happening. Right. It was like mm. a slip. Yeah. It would like go up, up, and she could, and she would have to like push, push it, it down. down. And then uh, mm. Des, I know hers started coming out the bottom, mm-hmm. like you're kind of describing. So that's interesting that, and and that's the type of thing where you want to contact a surgeon that works with weight loss surgery bodies. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Because then right. those so things are less likely. The, what I was going to add is that third point, you know, it takes me back to the training we were talking about. So, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Rubin, who I trained with, developed this special breast lift technique um, where we just use the patient's tissue and we do what's called an auto augmentation. So it's an augmentation using your own tissue. Um, And so basically using what's kind of spare part surgery. So what you women have is what we're going to use to reshape the breast and give you a nice lift. Um, And it's going to look like you have implants, uh, but we don't need to use any implants. And if you want a little bit more after that, then we do fat transfer. 
Wow. Mel cool. just got really excited. That's what I'd like to do. <laughs> Sign us up. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. So you can actually take the fat from like our abdomens and transfer mm-hmm. it into as a breast lift type. Correct. Wow. That is well, interesting. With lots of cutting, but yes. yes. In addition to the cuts that we'd have to make for the breast lift. Yeah. Yes. Wish that it was like snap your fingers and it's done, but I, yeah, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it's very rewarding. And I think, you know, the patients are very happy. And especially, like I said, when you're dealing with a younger patient, um, I always tell them if, you know, I would highly advise against putting implants in if you're in your 30s and 40s, because you are guaranteeing more surgery in your future. Mm. Um, And as you said, the implants can stay up. That's called capsular contracture, um, where the implant goes high um, Uh as your body forms scar tissue around it. Um, And then what happens is your breast tissue will naturally with gravity, it's going to fall over. And so that's one deformity you can get. Mm -hmm. I think that's what you said. One of your, the people you knew were having. Yeah. And the other one is where the implant goes down um, Mm -hmm. and your breast tissue stays up and, you know, neither of those are going to get fixed without another operation. So, yeah, I think both of our people that we're talking about, one of them's going to have another one. I think have another what surgery to fix it. Surgery. Oh, she's all done. Oh, did she get it done yeah, already? She's all good to go. Oh, okay. Yeah. So she had another surgery, and I know that Des had another one. Yeah. To fix hers. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So that's, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. I would prefer to do a non implant. Yeah. I didn't know if it was possible. Yeah. Yeah. I know Kelly and I have talked a lot about the nipple area. Yes. How is the nipple addressed? During these surgeries, the the lifts, because we oh, I mean, because we've heard that, like, they have to, like, cut it, cut it around it and reposition it. And sometimes it cannot like it. it you could lose feeling in your nipple like. Um, so we do cut around it. Okay. Um, typically, we, we make an incision around the areola. And for most patients, we're going to shrink the areola at the same time. OK. Um, it's always a risk. Yes. That it can be numb afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, typically what I tell patients in a consult is, uh, after a breast reduction or breast lift, you know, whatever we're talking about, you're going to go to one extreme. It's either going to be extra sensitive, which people don't like or numb. Um, and for the, for most patients, you're going to come back somewhere. It may not be exactly where you were before, but somewhere in this more normal range. Um, in my experience, hypersensitivity always gets better the numbness can be permanent. So okay. that's what I tell patients. Um, it's hard to tell who's going to end up on this side and not get better. Um, for the most part with breast lifts, the numbness does get better. It's usually more breast reductions where there's a higher risk of um, long-term numbness because you're okay. cutting up a lot more tissue in a breast reduction than you are in, the, in a breast lift. Oh, okay. okay. Good to okay. know. You yeah. said that you make the areola smaller. How does mm-hmm. that work? Well, they cut around it. Cut around it. Yeah. Okay. I was like making sure I understood. <laughs> You're such a nerd. <laughs> well, because you said that you make it smaller before you. I thought you said you make it smaller before you cut. So I was like, no, wait a minute. After. How do you make it smaller before you cut? As, as you cut. Yeah. Was, when you when you, you cut. cut. As you yeah. cut. As you cut. When okay. You cut. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> as you cut. Because I was yeah. like, wait. So are we like 
put an ice cube on this thing, make it small. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> You're such Actually, a you know, it, this might be TMI, but we actually have uh, things called cookie cutters. Okay. Um, I, I guess probably because they look like the things that you might use in baking to make perfectly round circles. Okay. Um, and we have little washers that are different sizes. So, you know, they start at like 35 millimeters, which is a little more than two inches, and they go up to like 50, which is almost about two inches. Um, so you kind of pick and choose that size and you push down on the skin and it makes a nice little imprint and then you will just cut cut on that imprint. Oh, that's ah. cool. Huh. Wait, yeah. so we and, can pick our nipple size? <laughs> so we can pick our nipple size, yes. Your areola I guess you size. Could. <laughs> I guess you could. Most surgeons probably like one or two sizes. Like I'm usually between a 40 and a 42. Okay. Um, Sometimes a 38, you know, if two inches is a pretty big aerial. Um, I don't think I've ever used that size. I don't think I want um, that. And I think this, yeah. <laughs> um, and so, you know, usually I'm using around a 40 to 42 millimeter. I think most surgeons do the same. So interesting. I did not know that existed. And second, yeah. there is no such thing as TMI on this podcast. Not just, at all. Just so you know. <laughs> we want to know all the things. We want to know all the things. <laughs> yes. No all matter what. Okay. Yes. Yeah. yeah. We it. we like to know everything. So that's why we ask about the nipple. Yep. I had to know. <laughs> well, because we know, I mean, I, I have my massage therapist. She got plastic surgery done, um, actually in Florida. Um, but she, I mean, she didn't have weight loss surgery. She had kind of more of an extreme lo- weight loss. She lost about a hundred pounds and then had surgery. Um, and so she's the only one that I've ever known like not have, on yeah. Instagram that had plastic surgery. So I'm like, I want to know everything. Uh-huh. I have no idea what I'm getting myself into. <laughs> um, and I know I'm like 95% sure that I want to have it done. Right? This is making no, me feel I'm, a lot better though. I'm all in now. I want to do oh, it. Oh, she's all in. I'm good. I'm creeping. I'm, I'm on the want. downhill slide of agreeing. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, only thing that makes. I mean, like I said, it's a. Sorry. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was the only one that makes me a little nervous is knowing that like I'll be kind of like a stitch doll. I guess is kind of the thing. Yeah. But that's fine. Yeah. You'll look good in your clothes. And that's all I care about. Yeah. Yeah. I don't care about scars actually at all. Like scars do not yeah, bother me. Yeah, they don't me. bug me. Like I don't care where it's at. It's like who cares? Like that's just yeah. a that's just a story and experience. I don't yeah. care what where it's at. Yeah. So Well, that's very important because there is a lot of scarring. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, they fade. I mean, patients who are free. Yeah, I, I guess the first thing you have to be accepting of scars, because if you're not and you think plastic surgeons are magicians who can wave a wand and do scarless surgery, then this is not for you. Um, but, you know, scars fade. Um, typically at a year, those scars are barely noticeable. And the longer out you are from surgery, the less noticeable they become. So awesome. Okay. Awesome. Yeah, it's good. You're not afraid of scars. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. We have plenty, right? <laughs> plenty of uh, of those uh, wonderful stretch marks. So now, well, and I've gone through like I have titanium from knee down, so like I have scars from that surgery. So I'm just like I don't care. Yeah, like, no, no. Like I have no. five screws in my ankle, two screws in my knee. You can see all the little spots, and those are the spots that are numb, which are interesting. Like if you just rub your finger across those spots, I can't feel. Is where the surgical little dots things are. So at. can we talk about sodium? Sodium. Sodium. I don't know how much I can tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So we can talk about it. So after surgery, I've heard that you want to be very careful of your sodium intake because you can swell. We've heard this several times. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So do you have a like a, a an amount that you or is that not something that you really 
That's are- never come up. I think the big thing is, so yes, you can swell after surgery. I think uh, the things that are going to help you swell or minimize swelling are increasing protein. Mm-hmm. Um, so as you increase protein, you push fluid back into your um, blood vessels or oh. pull, I should say, pull them into the blood vessels and then you pee them out rather than having the fluid go out of the blood vessels into the tissues. Okay. Um, so protein is very important for that reason. It's also important for wound healing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we always recommend that our patients get at least hundred grams of protein a day for four weeks before and four weeks after surgery. Damn, that's a lot so of you protein. you bump it up from your Yeah, you need to bump it up from your normal diet. I know typically after weight loss, it's 60 to 80 grams Mm -hmm. for, you know, say a 70 kilo person. Mm -hmm. Um, But when your body is trying to heal, you want to multiply that by 1.25 to one and a half. Um, So I just usually tell patients 100 grams is an easy number to remember. Yeah, no, that is. That's Uh, super cool to know. And with drains. So after, Uh do you use drains Typically, I use drains not, yeah, not everywhere, but for most body parts, yes. So the abdomen, um, if I'm doing a real tummy tuck, I have tried to get away from drains. So I do drainless tummy tucks. Um, okay. So there's some extra sutures we put in there to close that space. Okay. Um, in weight loss patients, that doesn't work so well for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just depends. Uh, on the abdomen, it's kind of a possible, depending on the patient type thing. Um, for the thighs, depending on the technique um, mm-hmm. that I'm using, there's one technique where I don't use drains, another technique where I do use drains, and the scars are very different for each. So that just depends on the, it doesn't depend on the patient. It just depends on which technique I'm using. Oh, okay. Um, arms, yeah, arms have started to get away from drains. Um, breasts typically have drains. Um, and then upper back, no drains. Lower back, almost always drains. Oh. Although I'm starting to try to get away from that too. So and they're just kind of cumbersome. Yes. Okay. That's the biggest. So, After the first like week, you know, when patients are still like just not comfortable and not really getting out of the house. But after that first week, when they're more comfortable and they're starting to leave the house, mm-hmm. that's the biggest complaint we hear until the drains are out is when can I get these out or God, these are so annoying or yeah. So we, we know I'm aware. For, um, <laughs> for the listeners that don't know, uh, why are there drains? So drains are there to pick up any fluid that, you know, like we were saying with the protein earlier, mm-hmm. if you're, if, um, anytime you create a, a space, right? So once we've gone in and we've made an incision and we've cut out some skin and then we close it over, well, that space that we dissected underneath, um, is now has become kind of a potential space. Um, okay. and the body doesn't like that. And the body wants to fill that space with something. And typically that something is fluid. Okay. Um, And so the drains are there to empty that fluid because otherwise your body can absorb a certain amount per day. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, obviously, like we like we were saying earlier, there's fluid in the vessels and that can leak out. Um, And so your body can deal with some of it. But, you know, when you're talking about 100 cc's, 200 cc's a day, um, it can't keep up with that. And so. Um, what's going to happen is it's either going to kind of come out through the incision um, or you want to put a drain in to get it out until your body, it gets down to a level where your body can now deal with the amount of fluid that's left. Oh, wow. Uh, that's, that's so interesting. Yeah, no idea. Oh, my God. It's like I knew that there was to drain, obviously, drains. Yeah. But you you don't really think of all of the the reasoning behind it and the yeah. science and the, like our bodies are just so interesting to me mm-hmm. to, yeah, to know all of these different things that it does 
for all of these little little tiny reasons. Yeah. Yeah. And procedures that you have done. Yeah. So weird. Okay. I yeah. love it. And so for to go back to the swelling, which is a fluid issue, it's going to be protein um, and compression. Compression is the other uh, important thing to help basically close that space from the outside. So you're pushing those two layers down. Um, so that that fluid doesn't accumulate. Okay. Oh, so okay. how long are you with drains if you put them in? I was going to ask that. Uh, I'd say on average two weeks, uh, okay. maybe a little bit more, two to three weeks. Okay. Um, yeah, it's rare. If it starts to get past that, we like to, um, there's a few different things we can do, like put some medication inside the drain, basically in the space to help your body uh, close off that space. Okay. Um, yeah, because, uh, you know, like we were saying earlier, they get very uncomfortable and we don't want patients hanging out there with drains for five, six weeks. So, yeah, um, there's a few different things we can do. Yeah. Oh, okay. Interesting. And then how. Oh, sorry. Oh, you're fine. How long do you wear a compression garment? <laughs> yep, that's where I was going. So <laughs> that's how in sync we are. Yep. We don't even have to. I knew that was your next question. <laughs> oh, see, he knew um, too. The three of us are in sync. Yes, I love yeah. it. <laughs> um. Typically, we recommend at least six weeks. And then uh, so I think people have either a love or a hate relationship with their compression. So um, there's people who at six weeks are like, I'm done. I'm never wearing this again. And others who uh, come in and tell me at their like three month or six month appointment that they're still in their compression because they they like the way it feels. So um, but we usually say six weeks. That's typically where most of your swelling is going to be gone. Okay. you know, the, the one thing I tell patients is if at two weeks you're feeling really good and you go for like a five mile walk, um, mm-hmm. you're going to swell, you know, I mean, it's yeah. still you're early in your recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, so you might notice some more swelling. So you just have to kind of be careful. Um, and same at three months, you might go to the gym at three months and do something a little bit more than what you did the week before. Mm-hmm. Um, cause at three months you're, you know, at six weeks, you're cleared to do all activities if oh. you don't have any wounds. Okay. Um, so you might do something at three months and now you notice, Oh, my like belly is really swollen you know, I always tell patients, you might want to use that compression again, as you're starting to do more and more activities um, for those days where you might do something more and feel that you're a little more swollen. Okay. Yeah. So with the compression, how is that, how are you, how do you one put that thing on with all the drains? Like, how does that work? Excellent question. Um, so for the most part, we uh, in the operating room will put some kind of compression garment on uh, for patients. Um, so for arms and thighs, we typically like patients to buy their garments ahead of time and bring it with them to the operating room. So okay. we're putting it on right away as soon as you uh, basically you wake up and you're in your compression uh, for the abdomen, uh, we use what's called a binder. You may have had one after weight loss surgery. It kind of just is like a sheet, you know, this high. Um, mm-hmm. And it's like this big thing that goes around your belly and Velcro's on the front. No, nope. 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 Neither, of a, neither of us had it. Okay. No. Sometimes they use it after like hernia repairs um, or abdominal surgery. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we, we use that uh, because the drains, we bring out the drains to the pubic area and then it's really hard to put on compression uh, mm-hmm. with the drains there. Yeah. Um, 
or you can always, you know, the other compression we recommend buying is the one that has a hole in the crotch area so you can still go to the bathroom. So if you have one of those, then you can just slip the drains through those holes and you can get into your compression. So that's um, what I would go for. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. I would not want to have to undo, yeah, undo everything to pee. Nope. No, thank you. Not (laughs) not dealing with that. That sounds awful. That that sounds like you would be surprised. Living hell. (laughs) (laughs) You would be surprised how many people still buy that type, even though we absolutely do not recommend it so people listen to your plastic surgeon please seriously if they literally say we highly don't recommend this why would you don't buy it it. even if it's ten dollars cheaper just spend spend the extra people spend the extra save the cans i recycle like a mother save the cans i can get ten dollars in like three bags cans for my panty that's right (laughs) i don't think they do that in florida Oh, well. In Oregon, they definitely do. Sorry, it's 10 cents uh, a yeah. can over here. <laughs> what, what? She takes all of mine. Wow, that's more than, I think it's like five everywhere else, isn't it? Yeah, it just got passed two years ago for the mm-hmm. 10 cents. Good yep. for you guys. Yeah. yeah. They should make it, you know, in, um, I remember when we vacationed in Hawaii a few years ago, it was insanely expensive to buy water. I mean, mm-hmm. it was like a case. I can't remember, like $10 for a case. It was something insane. That's but then expensive. when you took the bottles back, you got a decent amount of money back. And I think that was like their incentive was it to mm-hmm. give you money back when you, when you exchanged it. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I buy my LaCroix because I'm still hopelessly addicted to my LaCroix. <laughs> and so she gets all of my cans because I refuse to take them back. I, <laughs> I do just, it. I won't. I just know yeah. I won't. Like my boyfriend gives me like makes fun of me all the time he's like it's so easy you just drop a bag off and i'm like but i will never do it no i will never we used to recycle but we don't i mean no no and i recycle here but you can't take cans back to the store like you do in other states gotcha okay yeah and you're at my house anyway so yeah i just bring you my bag of cans here you go you haul your bag of cans over to mel's and (laughs) and then i'm like (laughs) pretty much hey on saturday i'm taking all the cans back yep i'm like hey i need another bag for cans yep (laughs) we sound so weird i know but it's fine (laughs) okay so we did have a few questions from our listener or our followers on Insta. Yeah. A couple of them did have some pretty good ones. They did. And I, I think we might have covered a lot of them because okay. there's a lot of like similar questions. So let's see from the group. And I think once everybody hears this episode, they're going to have more questions for you. More questions. So, yeah, yeah, just just so be prepared. There could be a round okay. two. We, we may ask. We can you, always do a round two. Yeah. Awesome. Sweet. Awesome. Yeah. So, I mean, you kind of touched this a little bit, but recovery time. Well, they need help at home. And for how long? Because they live alone. So. Uh, you know, it depends. I mean, if you're having one body part done, you might be okay we always recommend having someone at least for the first day or two. Um, You know, everyone recovers differently. Um, I'm sure even with like weight loss surgery, you might have all have have all had different experiences. So Mm -hmm. I think it's a good idea to have someone with you at least the first day or two. Okay. Um, And then for the most part, I think most people are okay being on their own. I mean, you might want to meal prep if you know you're going to be alone and no one's going to be around to 
get meals for you or cook meals for you. I mean, you know, on the other hand, you don't really want to be ordering out for no. you know, three meals a day while you're recovering for six weeks. Um, so, you know, meal prepping, um, bringing things down, you know, when we do breast and arm surgery, we don't like patients to lift the elbow above the shoulder. So you don't want to be reaching up high, uh, in cabinets. So I want to bring those things down. So you know, there's a few things you can do if you okay. are going to be alone for an extended period of time. Um, but no, and then, you know, the, while the most common complication are get, is getting wounds, typically they're very small and they require like a one-time dressing change once a day or once every few days. Okay. Um, and so that would be the most extensive thing you would have to do. Um, and then the only other thing, if you have drains, is just to empty them and record them on a piece of paper. Uh, so there's nothing too crazy about it. Uh, but for the first day or two, you may not be up to getting up and getting around and getting your own meal. So you might want to have someone with you at home. Okay. okay. What would be a sign where they would need help? Like is it... <sighs> sign where they would need help yeah um, like like I mean, is there like redness on the area does there like a certain look or oh, something or is there i know fever of course call your doctor if you have a fever but right so this yeah, yeah the things that you would need help for i guess maybe what you're asking is like when would you call your doctor because nothing yeah, really at home you you're gonna need someone yeah so fevers certainly and although it's not atypical to have after surgery especially the, the bigger the surgery is to have a low-grade fever that's very mm. normal okay um, but a fever that doesn't respond to tylenol or a fever that stays above a 101 um, is definitely cause for concern. Um, okay. Redness, um, um, you know, feet chills, um, nausea, vomiting that doesn't go away. Um, you know, then we, the most common things we typically get are, like I said, small wounds. Um, the other things we get called a lot about are, you know, intolerances to pain medication, mm. um, a rash to something. Okay. Uh, sometimes patients get a rash to the skin glue that we put on. Mm. Um, I've had patients who were allergic to the suture that we used. Um, okay. These are all rare, but right, you know, they, they can happen. happen. Like I yeah. said, what, yeah, what we get calls for, um, but nothing I would say that you really need help at home. Okay. I just had a the flashback. Big things, the scary of- things that you might want to call 911 for are like chest pain, shortness of breath, pain in your calf um, that okay. we talked about blood clots earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, those are the scary things and you probably want to call 911 at that point and not, um, okay. you know, having someone at home is not really going to help you for that. Okay. So I just had a flash sense. to like vomiting after having plastic surgery, like having a panty. I was just like, Ooh. Oh my God, that, like that, that sounds so bad. So I mean that yeah. you just saying that made my vagina park up a little bit. I was like, Whoa, that's- you're like, Oh no, let's not do that. Ow. Owie, owie, owie. Okay. So yeah, for the most part, patients are, are totally fine. I mean, you know, and infections are, are rare because we're not using any implants. Um, so the risk of infection is really, really low. And if there is an infection, it usually responds to oral antibiotics. You're not having to be admitted back in the hospital. I mean, I can't remember the last time I had to take someone back to the operating room. Um, it's been about a year now, I would say. Okay. A year, if not more, for like a, an infection or like a wound that was so bad after body contouring that I had to take her back to the operating room and, and cut away some tissue. Okay. Um, so it's extremely rare, you know, once a year, uh, okay. if even. Okay. Oh. Good to know. So this one is, of course, about cost. They want to know, like, what are the averages that they should be um, looking at? And they listed arm size, tummy tuck, and boobs. But it also depends on the area that you're in, right? The area of the United States, of the United States. 
I said that real weird, but yeah, like so you said it yeah, correctly. Yeah. <laughs> so very true. So um, yeah, in Beverly Hills, people might be charging twenty thousand just for a Tommy Top course. Twenty thousand wow. here is probably going to get you like four or five body parts. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. So it just depends. I mean, um, you know, again, a paniculectomy is going to, if it's covered by insurance, um, then it just depends on what your deductible is, what your coinsurance is. Mm-hmm. Um, if you want to add the muscle tightening to that, I think it's going to be a few thousand. Um, okay. so that's basically, that's gotten you to a tummy tuck. Uh, so it's whatever you owe insurance plus a few thousand, uh, to the hospital to get that done. Um, I think a straight abdominoplasty. So if you say, I want everything, I'm just going to pay for it out of pocket. At our hospital, I believe is around eight eight thousand. Oh, okay. Um, don't quote me on these numbers. Yeah, it's probably, no. You know, so let's no, say eight to ten. Are, these are generalized people. Let's say eight to ten. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, but again, in Beverly Hills, you're you might be looking at fifteen twenty thousand, and then some surgeons who, like our Tommy Tuck experts, might say, "Well, I take." It's crazy. I was talking to one of my colleagues, and she knows if I don't know if he's famous, but she knows a facial plastic surgeon in New York. Mm. Um, so probably across the country, a facelift is on average maybe ten to fifteen thousand. Um, she said he charges forty thousand for a facelift, oh. and I was like, I could do one of those a month and make more than what I make That's now. Insane. So, That's insane. That's wow. insane. Yeah. That is a so brand new car right there. So I know yeah, a lot. Exactly. So. A lot of our listeners definitely want at least a tummy tuck and the boob. So what is kind of like a, a mm-hmm. range on that? Um, so like I said, tummy tucks, probably eight to 10 boobs are probably also in the vicinity of six to eight. Um, typically for us, when you add things, it makes them cheaper. So it's not like, you know, let's say 10 and eight, it's not 18. It might be 10 and six. Okay. Um, so the hospital has kind of some cost savings, the more you do. Mm. Um, and I usually, they've allowed us to discount some of our surgeon fees, the more you do. So oh, um, okay. it's actually helpful to do more, uh, rather than less at the same time. How many will you comfortably do at one time? Yeah. Body parts. I usually tell patients three body parts, depending okay. on the body for the most part. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, you know, the most often combination I'll do, uh, depending on, you know, some patients come in and they say, I want everything uh, and let's just do it the way you want. Or, you know, we kind of come up with a plan. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, sometimes we'll say, well, let's treat the upper body in one surgery and the lower body in another. Um, and so if you're doing pretty much everything, we're talking upper body would be breasts, arms uh, and then upper back. Mm. Uh, so it's kind of like a bra line lift. If you can imagine where that bra strap goes mm-hmm. in the back, uh, you have a scar on the breasts that go under and then all the way around. Wow. Um, and an arm lift, of course. So that's mm-hmm. one surgery. And then the second surgery would be, um, abdomen, uh, buttock or lower back and thighs. Oh, wow. And that would be one of the surgery. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Wow. That's, sometimes a, you get that's a lot. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I always tell my patients, you know, you have to prioritize what you want. So I don't tell patients you have to do A and B. Um, Mm -hmm. I tell them, you tell me what bothers you the most. And then we go from there. So, um, you know, the other common one I do is like a lower body. So abdomen and butt and then arms together. Mm -hmm. And then we go back and do breasts, upper back and thighs together. Mm -hmm. Um, and then there's a hundred other combinations we can do depending on what, you know, each patient wants. Yeah. Okay. Wow. All right. I yeah. think that covers 
the general on that. Okay. Let's see. Yeah, sorry, that was a long answer to it. No, that's no, good. no. We would prefer you to be more information because we're all kind of like just trying to figure out what to where to go next. You know, I know I'm two years out from my surgery, and I'm still trying to figure out like, okay, what you're gonna do. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because it's, I mean, like you said, it's a big decision and you can't really, you can't reverse it. So you kind of have to be completely on board with your decision, whether you're going to have plastic surgery or not. So, yeah, I mean, you can't reverse it. I would say I've never, luckily, I've never had a patient who said they did it and regretted it. Okay. Um, I have had a lot of patients who said, I wish I'd done it sooner, okay. um, you know, on the other hand. Um, and then, you know, I mean, it's a, it is a big decision. It's not all, of course, it's not always free. It's not always covered by insurance mm-hmm. and not everything is covered by insurance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I get a lot of patients who come in and tell me, kind of like maybe you guys, I'm on the fence and their reasoning is, well, my husband doesn't want me to do this. He Mm. thinks, or my parents think I'm being vain. Mm. Uh, And so what I tell my patients is, you know, think about if this makes you happy at the end of the day, it's your money and you spend it how you want. Mm. Um, You know, I have people who buy boats. Um, Are are they vain? No, they like fishing or they like being out on the boat and that's how they Mm -hmm. want to spend their money. People spend money um, to go to get season tickets for their sports team. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the end of the day, if it's your money and this is something that's going to make you happy and it's, it's not like a, a sports going to a sporting event. That's like one night or a few nights, this is going to change your life for, you know, the, the rest of your life. So yeah. no, that's, um, that's very, well, I love that true. example though. Like, cause they are like, <laughs> these are big ticket items mm-hmm. that people do purchase. Yeah. And why do we need to be again, shamed mm-hmm. for doing something yeah. with our body? Mm-hmm. Like it's, yeah. Ridiculous. No, I think there's no shame in it at all. So yeah, no, I like that. So there's a question about pregnancy. If you know that you're mm-hmm. going to probably have another one, should you just wait? Uh, I get that question every once in a while. So uh, my answer is at the end of the day, it's up to you. I think if you know you're going to get pregnant in the next year or two, you're probably better off waiting. Um, Again, it is an investment of your time, your Mm -hmm. money, um, potentially um, your recovery, time off from work. Um, So I think if you know you're going to, I mean, if if someone's like, well, I'm planning on getting pregnant in the next six months, I would say, why are you, know, why are you giving it It's kind of a pointless discussion. Um, If you're not sure, you know, I have a lot of patients who say, well, I'm not sure I'm 30. We haven't, we talked about not having kids. Um, I say, you know, at the end of the day, it's your decision, but I think it's fine to do it and then decide, you know, if you're not sure, then five years from now, you might say, you know what, I don't want to have kids. So, you you know, you live with your nice body for five extra years. (laughs) But physically, even if you had plastic surgery, you can still have kids. Like you, it would still be fine. It does not affect your ability to have kids. Okay. Well, and also with the, like, say that they do, say they have the surgery and they do get pregnant within six months to a year. How is that affecting their abdominal wall? Um, in my experience, and it, it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't happen a lot where we do a tummy tuck and then people have kids. Um, so it's a very limited experience and I don't think there's any good data on it, but okay. in, in my personal experience, I would say the abdominal wall doesn't stretch as much when you've, when you've tightened it. Now, if you do a paniculectomy, it probably doesn't make a whole lot of a difference, mm. um, except that you might have loose skin again. 
Um, and chances are your insurance company is not going to cover that second surgery. Mm-hmm. So okay. um, I would say if your resources are limited and you're like, well, I can only do what insurance is going to cover and you are thinking about getting pregnant, I would hold off because um, mm-hmm. you don't want to have them cover it the first time, get pregnant and then not get it covered the second time. Yeah. Perfect. And then how long would it be for someone to go back to work? What is the average time frame? If say they're just doing uh, your two to three thingies. 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 I mean, luckily with COVID, people are working from home so much yeah. now. I usually tell them if you're just working from home and you can pop open your laptop, you can go back in like a week or two. And most okay. people have been doing that. So, okay. um, but if we're talking about more traditional jobs, usually two to three weeks. Okay. Um, like I just operated on one of our, um, our nurse practitioners. Oh. Um, and I think she was, well, I think she took three weeks off. Um, and she had a thylip, which is probably one of the most difficult uh, recoveries. Wow. Um, that's usually like a three weeks minimum is what I tell patients. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, if you have a traditional job, I'd say if you're doing kind of multiple things, you want to take three weeks off. Three weeks off. Okay. Awesome. And that's if you're not doing any heavy lifting or strenuous activity at work. Okay. And this is an interesting question. Okay. Yeah. Is it dangerous (laughs) to have a surgery last six or more hours? Um, So there is one study, I think it was from uh, University of Texas, um, Southwestern, that showed a slightly higher risk of um, complications if surgeries lasted more than six hours. And so I think a lot of surgeons cite that study um, and they might say, well, my cutoff is six hours. Um, So I'm guessing that's where that question is coming from. Okay. Um, Mm -hmm. In my experience, no. Um, I've done eight, nine hour surgeries, 10 hour surgeries. Um, I think again, you have to, so we always have to balance patient safety and how much we can do in one surgery. So, um, in a 50 year old who's had three heart attacks, probably not a good idea. Um, so I have a patient, for example, um, who he lost like 400 pounds. I think Um, he started at 700, maybe more four, five, almost 500, I think as a matter of fact, um, and but he had a history of uh, a PE, which is when that clot in your uh, calf can go to your lungs. Mm-hmm. So those can be fatal. So it's not a joke. Yeah. Um, and he had a history of that. So I told, and he wanted everything. He wanted, you know, the arms, the upper back, chest, abdomen, lower back, thighs. Wow. Um, and I said, okay, we can do that, but we're going to do it in six surgeries oh, um, yeah. because it was safer for him to do, you know, one body part in a shorter amount of time. Mm. Um, and get him off the operating room table um, than to keep him asleep for six hours every time or seven or eight or however long it was going to take. That makes complete Um, sense. Yeah. But in a 30 year old person who their only medical history was they were overweight and maybe they were diabetic and hypertensive and whatnot, but now they're, you know, off blood pressure meds, off their insulin. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't really have any medical problems. I think, yeah, nine, 10 hours is okay. So I think you just have to kind of look at it every patient individually. All right. I will say the more, um, and I don't think this has, so I think the, the reason that study showed a higher risk of complications, Mm -hmm. and this is purely my theory is it's not so much the length of time under surgery. Um, it's actually that, that, you know, you can imagine if you're doing a seven, eight hour surgery, you're 
adding a lot of scars, right? You're cutting more out something mm-hmm. that's six hours versus something that's two or three. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, something that's nine is going to be more than something that's six. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that study, it found a higher risk of small wounds or wound complications. Um, and I think it's more of a result. What I've seen in my practice is when I'm doing like a nine hour surgery, I'm cutting a lot of skin off and I'm closing a lot of length of incision. Okay. Uh, and I think that's what it is, is if you don't keep your protein up, um, to get that wound healing, then you have a higher chance of getting wounds. So I think it's more of a result of the length of the incisions and how much your body is trying to heal mm. and not so much that the surgery took X amount of hours. I could be wrong, but that's my theory. No, I, I like it. I think that's a good theory because yeah. it makes sense. Yeah. And you yeah. want you want to produce. So it's also the aftercare too mm-hmm. of the patient, whether they're yes. following the rules, they're following what you're recommending, you know, getting all their protein. So, right. Okay. Yeah. I think, that, right. I mean, we pretty much hit on all the things. Yay. Uh, there might be one or two that awesome. we didn't, but we can definitely, <laughs> we will do keep more. Track. Yeah. Because- I think this is way beneficial. You are a very good explainer. <laughs> Of our well, thanks, that's good. <laughs> sometimes we have some like random questions or thoughts, and so you did very well. <laughs> Thank you for good. dealing with okay. our goofiness. <laughs> well, I've got a future in TV. There yes, you go. yes, definitely Media. in the podcast world. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. Well, thank you so much I just for being. Need a, now I need a cool studio like you guys, and not just a window. There you go. You just need a couple posters. You'll be fine. Good to go. Good to go. <laughs> some guitars. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate you taking the time out to come talk with us and kind of inform us more of what you do and what our options are. Seriously, you've definitely eased my mind a yes. lot. Yes. Well, I'm glad to hear. For sure. I hope that other people feel the same way. It's been great. This was so much fun. Yay. Thank you. And we will talk to you very, very soon. Yes. Sounds good. All right. Thank you guys for listening, tuning in. Uh, this was a, an amazing episode. Oh, my goodness. I'm Learned mind blown. so much information. Yes. It's insane. Yes. Like, so, I almost oh. want to, like, re-listen to it and just, like, take down some notes. Oh, <laughs> definitely. We will have to do that. Definitely. Um, we will uh, definitely have our form on our website that you guys can go on. You can ask questions. Mm-hmm. And if you have any questions after this, please let us know because we would love to have a part two. Oh, 100%. So, 100%. And if uh, you want to watch this the when it first drops, yes. you need to go to patreon.com forward slash OSLP, become our patrons. One, you support us. So like I, we get new software, we get new lighting, things like that to help out the pod. Support your favorite girls. That's right. And then you can also get to see these if you do the $10 or higher yes. a month. Yes. Yeah. And that we also have a support group. Yes, we so do. So it is called the Winner's Bench because we are no longer losers. So we are going to get rid of that old loser's bench saying. And we yes, are we now are. the Winner's Bench. Uh, we fondly call each other the Benchies. That's and right. And we have a chat that we all chat together. And you can ask questions about the surgery before, after. It doesn't even have to do with surgery. No. We're just there for you to support you through your journey. Yeah. So. Like even recently we had we got to see where people were going for some shows. Yes. And then we had some people that had some bad days and they were just telling mm-hmm. us. They're like, thank you for just letting me vent and I have a place to go. And I was like, this is exactly what we wanted yep. it to be. Exactly. So we have over 30 people. So if you want to join, just join us. It's a yes. lot of fun. We're in it all day long. Yep. So. And don't forget to check out our website. It is 
OurSleepLifePodcast.com, and you can get all your merch. You can find episodes. Mm-hmm. All that fun stuff is right there. Yeah, and don't forget YouTube. Ring the bell. Yep. Subscribe and ring the bell. All, all right. right. Thank you guys for tuning in again, and we will see you next Next time. Bye. Hey, listeners, if you've enjoyed your time with us, please rate, review, and subscribe on any platform that you get your podcasts. Also, check us out on patreon.com forward slash OSLP for exclusive content with your favorite girls ever. Yeah. And also check out our YouTube page. Subscribe, hit that little bell so you get notified when our new videos drop a week after they are released. Yeah, and we would like to give a big thank you to Anne-Marie Cruz for our logos, Eric Vaughn with 17th Street Studios because he provides our music and our recording yes, space. Thanks for listening to Our Sleeve Live podcast where we are breaking that stigma one episode at a time.